Um, cool. So, so let's get started. Now we have audio working. We have a lovely shot of Seattle in the background uh, for folks who've never been there. Um, so let's get started. We're joined here with Dave and is it Eva or Ava? Eva. Eva. Okay. Um, so Dave and Eva from Visible. And normally what we do is we spend a little bit of time talking about you guys, how you got into marketing and what you're doing over there at Visible. And then we have a bunch of kind of the stories from this week in ad tech that we can cruise through and, and talk talk tech about. So why don't we, we start there and Dave, um, why don't you go first and let us know kind of what you do over there at Visible and how you got into the marketing space. Yeah, first of all, uh, thanks for having us. Um, we're excited to be here and we've been many year readers of, of this week in tech and your newsletter. So excited to, um, to be here and talking about it with you. Um, so uh, I'm the director of marketing at Visible. Um, essentially means I run the marketing team here. Um, we're a 50 person startup uh, that's solely focused on B2B marketing attribution. So we, we're marketers who make marketing software uh, and then go sell and market that to other marketers. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about attribution and, um, and the marketing space as, as you guys do as well as at ad stage. Right, and so you actually eat the own, your own dog food over there, right? You're the one using your own product to do cross-channel attribution and all that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've been, um, we launched uh, about two and a half years ago uh, as a Salesforce app, and then um, I joined to the company two years ago, and uh, we've been, been using Visible ever since, and uh, it's, it's great for us. I don't know how people do marketing without it. <laughs> right, well, I would expect you to say that. Yeah. Um, so just because I'm interested, so you launched as a Salesforce app, and how much of your business is still built around your Salesforce integration? Uh, all of it. Um, so we uh, only service the Salesforce segment. So when I say we're, we're solely focused on the B2B uh, marketing attribution scenario, I like really mean that. Um, so we, uh, uh, we have, there's some B2C companies that, that look like um, B2B companies, for example, higher education or... Um, finance or healthcare, like they're BDC, but they um, act and think much more like B2B companies. Um, cool. so, yeah, so we launched uh, two and a half years ago as a, um, as a way for you to connect Google AdWords into Salesforce um, as a replacement for their Salesforce for AdWords tool. And then um, it's just been um, all hands on deck since then and building out all the, all the channel tracking and some other cool features. Cool, and we will get into that a bit more, uh, mostly because I'm curious. Um, I did read your your um, profile, I think on LinkedIn or Twitter, and it says, and I quote, I am super passionate about online marketing, uh, entrepreneurship, a good stake, and the outdoors. So what's your favorite outdoor activity? Uh, probably grilling, uh, grilling a steak. So combining the two. I'm vegetarian, so if you keep okay. saying things like this, I'll just end the blab immediately. <laughs> No, some things like this, it's uh, that's about as outdoors as you can get. Um, but uh, no, the, one of the things I love about Seattle and San Francisco is like this as well is the accessibility of the outdoors right to the city. So uh, a lot of a lot of fun opportunity here. So do you have like a favorite hike or something that you go on? Uh, yeah, there's some some good hikes. Uh, we have a park called Discovery Park here. That's uh, it's more of a stroll than a intense hike, but it um, has some good views of the sound and the city. Nice. All right. Fair enough. If you come over to San Francisco, we have uh, Mount Tam in our backyard and we're all, well, not all of us. Many of us here at AdStage are avid hikers. Um, a lot of us are engineers who don't do anything. Yeah. Who might be listening right now. 
and you should do some exercise. Um, so Eva, let's let's get to meet you a little bit. So a little bit about how you uh, made your way to Visible. Yeah, so um, I my I was previously working at um, an agency that uh, did only B2B exclusively. So that's my background. And then I recently had planned on moving up to Seattle and um, sort of got talking to Dave and it seemed like an awesome fit. Um, I was kind of excited about the unique opportunity to market to people who are like myself um, and be actually able to use the tool that I'm marketing. Um, so the move in-house was really smooth and um, I've just been here for two months now about. So, yeah. Great. Well, I also trolled your profiles uh, trying to find something interesting. Yeah. Which I didn't find any, you know, uh, you like steak and outdoors, but I did find a picture of you with a cat. So it seems like you, you really enjoy your cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's kind of awful. <laughs> we looked good in the one photo, so, you know. Like most cats are. Um, okay. I could answer more questions about your cat, but then we definitely lose our audience. <laughs> um, so you mentioned kind of being a marketer and selling your product uh, to marketers, which, you know, over at AdStage, we're very similar. We have a group of marketers that work here that also use AdStage to do all our paid media. Um, how well how big is the group that does marketing over there and how involved are you in, in like the product process and providing feedback for that product team yeah so um our marketing team there are seven of us and um four content writers and then i do the digital advertising um and then we have events and dave is the director um so i use visible all the time every day um so when we roll out new you know, the interface looks a little bit different or the dashboards are different. Um, if I have any feedback, then we talk pretty closely with our development team um, about, you know, what we would like to see and if there's any feedback about just how user-friendly it is and what it looks like. And um, yeah, so we're, we're pretty tuned in where we talk pretty closely to development. And the and for folks who don't know Visible, you're visible.com, not IO, right? So mm -hmm. .com, yeah. Okay, so you can head over to visible.com, check them out. Or I assume Salesforce has some kind of like app store or app something. Uh, and you're probably yep. a top app in that. Yep. Yeah, they're cool. average. Um, and then, so, because the people can get kind of a full demo if they go to the site, watch a video, sign up, I'm sure. Um, and I'm, But I'm just legitimately curious. The How much of your client base is like actively managing AdWords campaigns via Salesforce? Or is it more about kind of attribution and reporting? Elsewhere. Yeah, so um, we should we should clarify where we fit into the marketing stack on the on the ad side, um, especially for for this audience. So uh, we're we're exclusively on the attribution and reporting space. So um, we don't create ads. We don't uh, as close as we get to modifying any kind of ads or bids or anything is just tagging your URLs to make sure that we can. Uh, we can track them uh, appropriately into Salesforce. Um, so yeah, we uh, uh, it's it's only only reporting, um, and then most everyone is is for, of our customers are already operating in Salesforce reports for their marketing team, and uh, this is like supplemental data for for their uh, for their team. Got you. I was going to say if, if we're direct competitors, we'll also have to end the blab. <laughs> uh, no, I mean we've had competitive quote-unquote competitors on uh, before in the ad space so i wasn't asking for that reason i was just genuinely curious so uh folks are using a lot of salesforce and they're pulling all the reports 
use you guys to bring in the, the data from their paid ads as well. So they kind of bring in that layer of data as well. And are you Google Bing only, or do you have other networks? What data do you bring? Um, for ad network connections, it's Google Bing uh, is where we pull in the, the cost data from. And then for all other channels, it's um, still the same activity. So we have JavaScript lives on your site and it's tracking direct traffic or, or Twitter or whatever. Uh, or you know email as well, um, kind of all those, and uh, we just don't have cost data for it. So it, they're revenue reports, but then for Google Bing, it's um, you can do ROI reports. See the spend and whatnot. Cool. Um, what's the even uh, said you were the the guy who runs all the events over there. So what's the last great event that you guys put on? Oh, the last great event. Uh, you know, I think um, we've done a couple of really awesome ones um, that are my favorites. Um, we do SMX Advance every every year here in Seattle. Um, that is a great place to connect with um, people who have really <laughs> been in the industry for a long time. And I first started going to SMX Advance uh, six or seven years ago. Um, so it's cool to see it evolve, but also a lot of people who I met six years ago still go there today. Um, and then our, our big show every year is Marketo's Marketo Summit. Um, that's going to be in Vegas this year in May. So we're really looking forward to that one. Nice. Um, and you made me think, of, oh, you used to, I also saw on your profile, you used to work at Microsoft before Visible, right? Um, yeah. Yep. So, you know, and up in Seattle, obviously Microsoft, Microsoft is a huge employer. Um, some of the articles this week, were, there's quite a bit of activity from Microsoft, and I was thinking to, to bring some of these up um, for you to address. The one being um, editor. So Bing launched a Mac version or announced support for editor on the Mac. I don't know. Are you a Mac user, and are you super excited for that? Yeah, I'm a Mac user. Um, I've been a Mac user for... I don't know, the last 10 years or something. Um, I am, and I think it was the it was one of those things that was always at the top of the user voice uh, that the Bing Ads team uses to collect feedback. And uh, it's I'm excited to see it when it comes out next year. And I, my understanding is they're just getting started with it. So, uh, but I'm excited to get my hands on it when it's available. Yeah, I think they said summer, spring or summer 2016. Probably means fall 2016. But. Um, <laughs> I used to, so before this, I worked at Kenshu and we had an editor tool. And one of the things we'd always sell it as was, oh, it's Google and Bing and one unified platform. And then the Bing editor got much better. For a while, the Bing editor was pretty much unusable. It just was yeah. nonstop. Um, so it was a nice little, you know, tool for, for Kenshu. But then what ended up happening, of course, is we build an editor needs to add all the new features to it and figure all the complexity in the, the desktop editor version. So then the team kept getting bigger and bigger. It was almost like its own company doing this cross-network editor tool. And I don't know what's happened to it. It's, I haven't been there for uh, over a year now. But uh, I always remember we'd get this giant list of requirements of the editor. And we'd be like, how did we get ourselves to this mess? Yeah, right. You know, managing client software for an ad network. Right. Um, <laughs> cool. And then, uh, Eva, where were you before? Uh, I know you said you're at an agency, but... What, what were you kind of up to in terms of at that agency? Were you managing paid or doing SEO? Yeah, uh, at Obility, it's a Portland agency, um, and I was an SEM manager, so I did all paid search. And you're, you're doing the paid now for Visible, right? Correct, yeah. And so maybe give us the, like, uh, what's a typical day for you in terms of managing the channels? Are you spending your time? Sure. Um, we are actually really LinkedIn heavy. We've seen a lot of 
great success from LinkedIn. Um, so I definitely spend a lot of time there, usually get in in the morning and check in on Visible and Salesforce and see how we're doing, um, check in on all of the spend. But yeah, we spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and then we're also using AdWords and Bing um, and then also have been exploring a couple of different things. I mean, looking at, into new opportunities, especially since account-based marketing is such a huge focus now. So we're looking into ways that we can um, use account-based marketing. And then, um, you know, we're also using ad role and doing retargeting. And so it's a lot of um, just balancing kind of all of the networks that we use. And and, and you're doing all that yourself. You're your best uh, Pretty much. I, Dave, Dave and I talk yeah. a lot about a strategy, yes. and, yeah. but yeah. But you're the execution team, team of one. Yes. Nice. Well, you said 50 people startup, so that's not as well. I mean, we uh, we sell to a lot of startups for some reason. Uh, so like here in, in the SF area, we have a lot of kind of single marketers that are doing all, in some cases, five networks, right? Google, Bing, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Plus, yeah. they're the SEO consultant. Plus, they update the website. Plus, they do content. Plus, they run events. So, feel your pain. Yeah, <laughs> we have a, a really awesome content team. So, um, you know, we have a lot to promote, and it, and it gives us a good um, sort of. I don't know. We have a lot of hands on deck, even though it's just me doing paid. So, I can get help where I need it. It's awesome. It's nice, and. Um, Maybe for folks who don't know LinkedIn that well, do you have any kind of quick tips on what's I mean, some of the most effective strategies you've discovered on LinkedIn? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, it's really easy to get specific with your targeting there. So just segmenting audiences um, so that you get a specific audience enough that you can really tell what's effective and what's ineffective. So we've done a lot of layering and just making sure we're only running to people who we know have the ability to influence the buying decision for Visible. Um, so that that's marketers um, and people who, since we're Salesforce exclusive, people who have the skill of Salesforce has been an audience that has performed well for us. Um, so yeah, just like really segmenting out audiences um, has been really helpful in measuring results and then also being able to tailor content to those specific audiences. Um, but there are a lot of little things that you can sort of play with uh, in the LinkedIn platform that make it kind of game-like um, to try to, to get kind of the most for your, for your dollar and sort of have success on the platform. So we do a lot of testing with the settings and, you know, whether CPC bidding or CPM bidding is appropriate based on what our click-through rate is um, and testing different things like that. For example, if you have, you know, a really high click-through rate, then it can be uh, more cost-effective to actually switch over to CPM bidding because you're then paying less for those clicks. Um, so things like that are really awesome to test and, and sort of play around with. So. Cool. And a, a detailed question, and then I'll, I'll stop harassing you about your marketing right. today. Um, so just from a, so for folks who don't know, LinkedIn only has campaigns at this point. They don't have ad groups. So when people are testing, it's often creating multiple campaigns uh, with, with different settings. So how many campaigns do you kind of keep running at one time? Um, right now, I think we have live almost 80, 80 campaigns. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a lot, especially because we're actually trying to roll out some account-based marketing 
on LinkedIn, but you're limited to 100 companies per campaign. Yep. Uh, so because of that, if you want to target any larger number, you have to roll out a bunch of campaigns at once. So we're sort of in the process of testing that right now. Great. Um, yeah, that's definitely being a LinkedIn platform. The, our number one request is help me upload more than 100 companies, which you can't because it's an API <laughs> limitation. Um, yeah. Or help me bulk upload because it's pretty painful to go through and do them one by one. Bulk upload would be, I would say, my top. <laughs> I would love that for LinkedIn. But all right, we'll put it on the top of the list <laughs> for you. That's um, so before we talk about some other, well, I guess this is a story. I want to talk about attribution a little bit more since it's your kind of bread and butter over there. And last week we had uh, Frederick on, who is the CEO of Optimizer, former Google engineer. Uh, well, not an engineer, former Google quality score philosopher. I don't know what exactly to call him, but he worked on quality score and he worked on things like editor. And at some point he made a pretty kind of uh, dramatic statement about, oh, I don't believe in attribution. Um, and he, we didn't talk much about it, but you know, it was the first time I really heard someone just come out directly and say like, yeah, I'm not really into attribution. And then there was an article we had this week and this week in ad tech um, about someone basically saying, that attribution is an unsolvable problem. So it's a marketing land article. So curious to get you know, your reaction on that one, Dave, about is attribution unsolvable? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, we pulled that one out to, to chat about because I thought it was a, a pretty interesting article. Um, uh, in fact, uh, so Lewis wrote about um, digital attribution, not a solvable problem. Uh, Eve and I were, were taking a look at this one and, and talking about it before we, we jumped on here and actually came to the conclusion that we agreed with a lot of what Lewis was saying, um, uh, which surprised me when I saw the headline and kind of started to dig into the article. Um, so yeah, Lewis is making a few, a few interesting points in the article that um, kind of one, uh, single touch attribution is, is, isn't effective. Uh, totally agree. <laughs> uh, you should be looking at your entire buyer journey and especially for B2B companies, which we are and we think a lot about B2B, uh, oftentimes that that decision process or the buying process spans you know, many months and in even more sessions than what you would get on a B2C. Um, and then the other point he was making is that you need to have omni-channel. Uh, you need to be thinking about all your channels, uh, which I thought was also like, uh, of course, of course you should be measuring and looking at all your channels. Um, so I find like a lot of times when people are saying digital attribution, uh, it's an unsolvable problem, it doesn't work, uh, it's just, you know, they're pointing out the problems with it. Um, there's, uh, there's certainly different degrees of attribution and there's like kind of a crawl, walk, run um, that we advocate for and we, we kind of tell everyone, if you're a small marketing team or you're not investing in much, uh, like honestly, like what you get with marketing automation or with ad stage and with, you know, the conversion pixels for uh, mad networks, like, you know, that could be fine for you. That could be really good. Um, so there's definitely different kind of thresholds of uh, types of attribution. And I think Lewis's point here is actually um, kind of some of the basic attribution um, uh, pieces are problems, but, uh, there's there's certainly solutions out there to them. Um, so I actually agree with like a lot of what he, what he said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for folks who didn't read the article, uh, 
so it's LinkedIn this week in tech. It's also, you could probably go to marketing land and find it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll play Lewis in this uh, debate, let's call it. Because it, I think the points you made are, are spot on. There were some kind of fundamental things about attribution, which, you know, he used in his argument, like, uh, you know, single click was terrible and most people aren't doing it right now. But I think his core thesis is, you know, it's a, attribution and the attribution we get is an oversimplification of what is actually happening in the marketing stack. And by using attribution to tell you where to spend your money or what is quote unquote effective, you're using false signals and false signals are worse than no signal at all. And, you know, if you think of single click or like last click attribution, which was the attribution model that most used for years until probably 2014, kind of the industry searching, you know, the argument is, hey, we've all been like the last click or the last event, the thing credit. So for years, marketers walked to the boardroom saying, hey, look how effective paid search is because someone clicked on this ad and then bought our product when they were ignoring the fact that that person had seen six television commercials, three Facebook ads, and then their you know sister just told them, oh, you have to buy this product. You better get it by tomorrow because I really need it. And then they go to Google and type in a keyword and the people on the SEM team are like, we're the best. Look how good we're doing. Um, so we kind of laughed at ourselves for oversimplifying it then. And I think in some ways he's saying like, we're just doing it again. We just, you know, we're kind of giving ourselves too much credit in how much we understand because marketing is too complex. So I'll pause there and, and you know, get your take on that approach to it. Yeah, I think one of the, the yeah, there's definitely some things I agree with that. Um, attribution is, is numbers. Uh, it doesn't always provide the direct insight into uh, motivations or the reason why people bought a product or a, a service. And I think this is where um, you need to understand kind of what the role of attribution and how, it, how it's fitting in your marketing team and uh, where, where it's not. And for things like optimizations and budgeting and planning and forecasting, like great right, uh, attribution is fantastic for those things. Um, you know, looking at and saying, okay, uh, here's all my deals at the end of the month, and uh, okay, they bought because of this paid search ad. Uh, is the reason they bought it is is probably not a a great way to think about your attribution, and, and certainly it, um, you know, brought them to maybe a piece of content uh, and was a source of how they. Um, found your message, but uh, what that message is and uh, what their internal motivations are for, for buying a product is uh, is really tough. And like a click really isn't going to tell you uh, much of that. And that's why you need to have, like for B2B, you need to have a really close alignment with your sales team and kind of sit down with them and look at, you know, okay, why did these people buy it? Is there something that we're seeing kind of differently of people who are kind of coming in from this channel versus this channel? Um, so it's like uh, some of those, like it's not replacing interactions with sales teams, uh, but it is replacing some of the, the budgeting aspects. So Lewis and I disagreed a little bit on that point. Right. Um, I guess, and I, you know, clearly I have an opinion here because I've been thinking about it kind of all morning. Yeah. Um, the, it reminds me of like dieting, right? So like for years now, everyone tells you like how you should eat and what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat and what you should be gluten-free and meat will kill you and eggs are good, eggs are bad, butter's good, butter's bad, all this stuff. And we keep making this mistake of assuming we actually know 
all the complexity of the human body so that some expert comes along and says, oh yeah, you know, go on this diet because if you do that, you'll be really healthy. And then we even go out and get blood tests and look at, you know, we do actual studies and look at like, oh, you know, if you eat a lot of, I don't know, this vegetable and your lowers your blood pressure, but we like continue to make the same mistake of oversimplifying the complexity of the human body and like nutrition and food and all that stuff. So we keep coming up with these like grand realizations. And then five years later, we're like, oh, we never knew that these micronutrients existed before. So we could never even, you know, make them. And I always think of like baby formula in the 60s or something like that. I forget the year, but someone came out with baby formula and it was missing all kinds of like vitamins and micronutrients because they didn't even know they existed. And they were like, oh, you know, but look, it's got protein. So this analogy is getting a little long-winded, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to say, I, I do think that attribution is the best that we have now, and you would be silly not to use it to make like observations and to make some broad decisions about budgeting, effectiveness, as long as you realize it's an oversimplification and that there's stuff we don't understand because either A, it's not tracked, like word of mouth, or maybe there's some TV ads or some offline media, uh, or there's just, you know, people's brains are weird places that do funny things. Um, so as long as we like keep that in mind, then I think it's good to use attribution as a tool to help you decide. And if you look at marketers today, we all use it. So it's it's not like um, if if it was that misleading and all our ad, you know our uh, revenues were going down, then we'd probably stop using it. So clearly, it's not creating this trend that's hurting everyone. But anyway, that's my my opining on on attribution after my thinking about it this morning. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right in that, like all of marketing is an evolution. Um, and uh, like marketing needs, like uh, attribution is always a laggard to uh, marketing activities. So like, for example, you wouldn't build view through conversions in an attribution model uh, if nobody was doing display ads. Um, so there it's a, it always lags the marketing activities slightly. Um, and I think we're at this big shift right now where there's been a lot of changes in the last five plus years in marketing. Um, and so attribution models are kind of playing catch up. Uh, attribution models and systems are kind of playing catch up to, to those changes. So I think we'll see a lot of, a lot of attribution changes in the next few years to um, kind of get them up to snuff of, of how marketers are, are thinking about the world today. All right, take that, Lewis. We believe in attribution. Um, <laughs> the, um, you, it reminded me of another article in This Week in EdTech about, so AdWords has audience insights that they're now doing. So a lot of networks, uh, Facebook does this, Twitter does this, AdWords does it as well. You know, we'll see you data about the people who are clicking on your ads and they usually call them insights. Google now will give you insights on your audiences. So if you're using an audience pixel, uh, to, to build a list of people who have been to your site or people who have purchased something. You can now go into AdWords and see a bunch of demographic psychographic data about those users. In some ways, this brings up the same kind of uh, concepts that attribution does. I always wonder how useful are these insights? A, how accurate are they? And even if they are accurate, um, what can you do with them? And I don't know if you, if you guys offer insights in your tool, but what are some things you tell marketers to do with with that insight data. Do you use the insights at all, Eva? Um, I don't really. I mean, sometimes if you, you can look in a platform and say, you know, 
especially with LinkedIn, you can look at, you know, the click demographics or something. Um, looking at that, I think is helpful to just make sure you're reaching the audience that you intend to reach. I think, um, for example, here at Visible, we have a pretty good idea of who's buying our product because we have, um, you know, a long list of customers and we can um, gather data about them. Um, and that's a little bit more concrete, concrete than looking at insights about, um, you know, demographic information about people who are visiting your site. I think it's, I think it can be really helpful, but um, you can, I don't know, I would be sort of cautious about making huge decisions based on that, that data. Um, unless it's also supported by what you see in your, you know, average customers and such. So um, I think it can be helpful to look at. And I mean, there could be something that's really surprising um, and maybe run with that. I don't know. I've seen a couple of people in the past with clients who, you know, have seen that maybe their clients are really into Star Wars. And then that just is kind of this little trend that they see. And so they can put out some blog posts that'll be like Star Wars related and their product and um, kind of just play around with fun, fun ideas like that. But um, I mean, it's, it's not really a game changing. That per se decision is not necessarily game changing in my opinion. And I always hear these examples, but no one ever does them. Like I don't know any marketers that then go write that Star Wars blog post because they saw some insights tab that People yeah, that like ad stage also like Star Wars. Um, maybe, well, maybe we should find some people to do that. Some super relevant content marketing at these super niche yeah. segments they find in insights. Um, but yeah, so anyway, people can now get those uh, for their their customer lists or their audiences in AdWords, which does make it interesting because you can, and you've been able to do this in Facebook for a while as well. You can upload an email list and then go check out like who they are. You know. I, I don't know. I think list minimum size is a hundred. Might be a thousand, but I think it's a hundred. We're also getting the border of like how anonymous is data if it's a hundred, and people, some unsavory types, might put a bunch of fake email addresses in there too to try to really, you know, if you have like twenty customers, you really want to know about. Probably reverse engineer some of this stuff, but, but anyway, it's now available from AdWords. So um, a few other things I want to touch on with you guys. One. Yahoo launched product ads. I'm curious how much kind of action you see from Yahoo in the ad space in terms of uh, your clients. And the other uh, kind of part of that question was uh, Instagram as well. So uh, Instagram basically took the Facebook marketing partnership program, cherry picked 40 partners out of that and came out with the Instagram marketing partnership. So how much do you see both Yahoo and Instagram on the radar of your clients? Yeah, I'll say that um, all of our customers are mid-market B2B. Um, so um, B2B tends to lag B2C in terms of the types of, of marketing that's being done. So um, all of our customers, most of them are running through Bing ads on Yahoo. Um, I don't know any that would be on uh, that Instagram list. But I think the um, kind of important trend here, especially with the Instagram, Instagram ads, is that uh, you're having um, native ads on mobile. Um, so we saw this a lot with Twitter, with um, some of the cards that we're making. Um, the Facebook is having even more with their feed and um, it's continuing, the, the trend is continuing. Um, you know, a few months ago, you know, Google had their first, which was the app install ads uh, in, in paid search and now Instagram. So I think the, the important trend here is that uh, we're having more 
kind of mobile specific ad formats and um, uh, they tend to be kind of B2C first, um, like the app install ads, these Instagram ads are good examples of that. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, the, the way those ads are shown and uh, the actions that can come with those ads will expand over time to be more inclusive of all um, advertisers out there than just uh, installing an app, but uh, I'm excited for kind of what it's indicating. Um, Eva, have you played around with Instagram placements yet through Facebook? Not at all, no. <laughs> um, I have seen it, that it's a possibility, um, and we do a little bit with Facebook ads, um, but we're more at this point in testing Facebook to see what works for us there. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really see us focusing on that very soon since it is sort of, I can see it more for B2C right. at this point, but yeah. Yeah, so I was at the Facebook uh, Partner Summit or whatever it was called last week, and they are really pushing Instagram as its like own thing, right? They, it's got its own team. It's now got its own partner program. And I'm just curious how many people out there are really going to think of it as its own network versus are going to just add it in as an extended network because you can run the same ads across Facebook and Instagram if you're lazy and you don't want to create creatives for just Instagram. Uh, and if you're a B2C play, yeah, sure, maybe Instagram is like right you know, if maybe in your insights, you see people like Instagram of the people who I'm trying to target, maybe do a lot there. But I think most people, especially in B2B, where we don't spend a ton, maybe on Facebook, it's just, eh, just throw it in there, see what happens. Yeah. Um, going back real quick to, to Yahoo, too. So we've seen uh, the same, sorry to Yahoo folks, we'll have to get somebody in from Yahoo because we always pick on them. But the, um, the Gemini product, we don't see much demand for it. Most people are happy buying their Yahoo ads through Bing, even though you might have some limited inventory. Yahoo did announce that they're not gonna do product ads, but pretty intelligently also said that you can still buy them through Brightroll. So if, if you're not integrated with Gemini and you have no plans on buying ads through Gemini, you can still get access to the ads on Yahoo inventory through Brightroll. Or a company called Polyvore, which they acquired, which I know nothing about but I assume it's some type of mobile networky type thing. So we're straight from their homepage. I'm sure you pulled that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so what else? So another headline that I, I saw this week were um, holiday promotions. So there's a, a little bit about uh, what uh, Google is doing around holiday promotions. Uh, before we go there, I'm curious in, in B2B, is your holiday, there's not a Black Friday for, for B2B, is there? Uh, not a Black Friday. There's the uh, December end of year push though. Uh, so you see this less in the kind of demand side, but uh, um, you have uh, a, a lot of sales quotas and just budgeting of marketing teams is happening um, in December. So, uh, most like most B2B companies, their December is the best, their best month. And so, um, to prepare for that, like we'll front load some of our media in like, September or October. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a, um, you know, specific holiday that everyone's like going out to shop for B2B, but uh, you know that like everyone's going to be buying on the last day of December. So kind of work towards that. And that's because budgets are up or because renewals are due. What's, what's the motivator? Yeah, a few things. You have um, on the companies, like companies who are buying software, you have their budgets resetting for 2016. 
Um, and this isn't just true for our, our customers, it's true for um, most B2B companies. Um, so you have budgets reset in, in January. Um, you also have just like a strategic planning for the next year. Like, okay, we want to go do this thing next year. Uh, let's get software to help us go do that. Um, and then kind of on the, um, internally you have like sales teams and sales quotas end of the end of year, end of quarter, like people um, looking to hit their numbers. Right. Interesting. So you take advantage of those two phenomenons and uh, drive December sales. All right. I'm taking some notes for us since we do uh, quite a bit of our own data. Um, so something for the retailers in, in the world, Google rolled out was a, um, which blows my mind, uh, a text message product. So now if you, if you do a query on Google, uh, Black Friday deals or anything with Cyber Monday or Black Friday, select ads will have a little uh, subscribe button and you can subscribe to that. Well, in general, you're just subscribing to get Black Friday messaging from Google, yeah. which sounds like, okay, I'm going to get some kind of notification, but no, it's a text message. So in order to sign up, like literally this, it says, okay, now text join to whatever. And I was like, really? This is like 1995, came back and SMS text messaging is happening. Um, I just thought that was crazy and worth mentioning. It probably has no relation to what you guys are doing. I mean, yeah. would you ever sign up for SMS ads anymore? Yeah, personally, I wouldn't. I, I saw that so <laughs> bizarre. And I think it was Ginny Marvin who, when she wrote about our marketing land, said, uh, I like, presumably somebody wants this. And I think that was like the right response of like, I have no idea kind of why they would do this or who's like, who would do like want to opt in for this. But it's certainly interesting. Uh, yeah. For them, they need to, you know, keep innovating. And it's nice to see kind of them thinking about different scenarios. Uh, but bizarre for me. Yeah. And to see if it actually does well for anyone. I'm hoping we can see something about that. Yeah. I can only assume it's people who maybe really want to buy a specific TV and they need to know exactly when they can get the best deal on that. And they're all in for that one product. Like I could see maybe that being a use for the texting, but mm. other, it seems I would never sign up for that. I don't know. <laughs> it seems a little silly. Yeah, it's always hard because we're in the tech bubble. Yeah. We're all marketers. So it's, it's also sometimes easy to forget that some people still don't even know what SMS is and you know, don't even realize they're signing up for an irritating text message. Um, or maybe it's like kids these days never had this terrible SMS experience. So they're like, oh, let's we'll try <laughs> using this again. I tweeted earlier, like um, as a onion type headline, um, Google rolls out SMS uh, text messages and AOL sends CDs to get internet access. Uh, <laughs> it's like going back in time. Um, yeah. What is smarter by Google is they also rolled out a very similar program for their Google Now product. So uh, also in search engine, search engine land, um, you can kind of follow a store, I think. Uh, oh no, it's, uh, there's like a reminder feature. So if you're looking up a store on your mobile phone and you want to remember to go shop there, which, I, okay, I guess some people are like, oh, I really have to come back to this store. You can kind of pin it to remind you later. And then through Google now, if you're near it or whenever Google decides you should know, it will remind you, oh, here's this store and maybe push you kind of some products at that store, which I think is a more 2015 way of doing the text message. So 
uh, maybe they're trying both and side-by-siding their results. Yeah, product-wise, that seems more logical to me as uh, uh, Google now knows so much data about you, like what stores you frequently shop, uh, how often you go out, like where where do you go out, how far are you willing to drive? Um, like they know a lot of information about you and it feels like that's the more kind of logical approach to kind of curating like, hey, here's these stores, like do you want to follow them versus something like uh, text message, which is kind of like an email where it's just, okay, I don't really know much about you, so I'm just going to send you as many emails, and you're either going to take the offer or you're going to unsubscribe, and you kind of have two options. Right. So. And do you, are you guys uh, Android or iPhone? I'm an iPhone. I have an iPhone as well. Okay, so you don't, um, you probably don't use Google Now that much because um, it's pre-installed on Android, Android devices. I am Android. At some point, I made the switch, and I'm, I'm being stubborn and not going back. But... Um, like Google now is pretty terrible. It still doesn't know the sports teams I like, which is like the easiest thing to figure out because I'm from the East Coast. I check sports scores for certain teams all the time. Uh, and fortunately, it doesn't tell me because I like, uh, I don't record the games. See, I'm old. I say record. I use NFL Pass or something to see like replays of the games. So I'm glad it doesn't know what teams I like because it never shows me the scores for them. Um, but so, yeah, I'm like, I still, I think verdict's out on Google now, whether it's going to be like a true Siri alternative um, and how useful it's going to be. But it seems like a good idea starting to surface things that you put in there as reminders. Although I was thinking, you know, they let you remind yourself which store you want to shop at, but there's no easy way to remind yourself of like a movie you want to see or a book you want to read, which is very reminder prone. So, yeah. Yeah, or knowing that tickets are on sale for this movie. Like, if you aren't reading the headlines, like, you may not know that. Right. Yeah. Star Wars was me. <laughs> Where I was like, oh, shoot, it's, it's like right now. I need to go, like, get Star Wars tickets. Yeah, I think they're sold out forever. So sorry. Until yeah. <laughs> next year, you can watch it uh, on TV. Um, so let me see. Is there anything else on here that you guys want to talk about? I'm breezing through. Um, oh, there's one. While, while you're looking on your list, um, Facebook has, since you're iPhone users, you could tell me about this because Facebook has this um, uh, instant ad, no, instant articles, right? So for select publishers, instead of having a traditional experience where you see somebody forwarding an article and you click through to the website, if you click the article, it opens up and it's dedicated experience. You stay in Facebook, it loads quickly. And Facebook has a rule that publishers can only add hundred words, which I love that Facebook is like the parent in this. Putting too many ads on this story, New York Times, uh, you can only have one. And of course, they're all very cranky because they're saying, well, they can't make enough money and they make more money on their own website. Um, So there's this natural back and forth on, you know, they're pushing to have more than one ad and they want rich media. So uh, how is instant articles? Do you like it? Do you like the reduced ad experience? What do you think Facebook should do here? I don't know if I've actually even seen them. Um, I use the, the sidebar uh, to find news articles like pretty often and go and um, for me, Facebook has become a kind of news, news discovery and digestion kind of center. But I don't know if I've seen the instant articles I've been in the wild yet. I certainly have seen the headlines about them, but haven't experienced them myself. Yeah, I've seen them. I think um, 
it makes a lot of sense. Facebook is trying to give the best user experience. Um, and it, I mean, they load faster and people are now, it's kind of the trend of people using Facebook more as a news source. Um, so I think it's really in line with what's happening there. Um, so it makes sense why they, they rolled that out. And as far as, I mean, limiting the number of ads, it's not great for advertisers or for the public or the, for, for the publishers that make their money off advertising. Um, so, I mean, I think that also marketers and advertisers have been really good at adapting to changes um, that happen with the way that people consume information. So I think that like, I would just expect if this, you know, continues on, then people will kind of adapt in creative ways to, to see how to counter that, I don't know. I mean, it's the same problem with people are getting a lot less, you know, direct traffic, aren't clicking through to the site. Um, if they can just stay in the Facebook ads platform, but that does serve Facebook because people are staying on their on their site. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Marketers are very adaptable. If there's a way to sneak an ad in there or make the most of that impression, we will yeah. find it. Um, I also made your friends are smarter than ours because they're sharing New York Times and Wall Street Journal articles. And meanwhile, you know, Dave and I can't find any instant articles. Uh, yeah. I have the Android excuse, which I, when I, I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's why. But I was, because I spent a good five minutes on Facebook just scrolling through looking for like a New York Times or Wall Street Journal article. And, uh, not not the folks I know on Facebook. They're not sure. Yeah, right. Thanks, Mark. Um, so yeah, so I thought that was interesting. The uh, if you're it's not be that relevant to you guys, but for those folks who are doing shopping ads, Google introduced a ton of kind of integrations with YouTube. So, and in, in true Google fashion, there are TrueView for shopping ads, and then shopping ads on YouTube, and those are two different things. So, I reduced it to if you're doing TrueView for shopping, you're basically putting your own ads from a merchant center feed you have on your own videos. So essentially if I'm watching a visible video on the right side, I see a bunch of ads for visible if you're a retailer um, versus shopping ads on YouTube or I'm just you know on YouTube watching whatever and here's a bunch of product ads or shopping ads. Um, so those are all uh, opened up to all advertisers now. So I think because clearly the holiday season's coming up, we're seeing a ton of movement from all networks on shopping ads and product ads. So maybe you guys can do some YouTube videos and put some, you can buy visible as a product on the side of your video. Yeah, that'd be cool. Are you seeing that um, for for shopping? Like I know you have some shopping clients, I imagine. The uh, Are they able to take advantage of any of these new, like not in your tool, but uh, like, have they already have their um, shopping strategy set for uh, for this fall or in this winter, or are they like able to kind of take advantage of new, new things that you're seeing, like with this, uh, true view product ads on YouTube? Yeah, it's, I mean, for retailers, I'd say they have their strategy locked in because, uh, black Friday is like a week away at this point. Yeah. Um, but Google made it really easy to, to not do anything and just kind of have your stuff appear in shopping. So if you're already running a shopping campaign and you have search partners turned on, you'll already be getting this extended distribution on YouTube. Um, so I think it's kind of like Instagram and Facebook. You know, Google made it really easy to extend yeah. the distribution. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's going to mean like a big shift in people's strategy. Um, and it, it is crazy to think like a year ago, we didn't even really have paid shopping ads 
we did, but there was so much organic traffic on Google shopping that no one did paid. And then Google flipped the switch where you had to do paid to get traffic. And now like no one can even remember the day when a lot of that traffic was free. There's whole companies. That's all they did was like manage feeds for your free Google shopping. It's crazy. Yeah, that was huge. <laughs> that was a big change. The, uh, so last few articles I want to mention, um, who is it, Bing, going back to your background in Microsoft, um, yeah. they changed the way they so, show search results. So now there is something called credibility extension. Uh, so it gives, if it's a brand that I guess Microsoft Bing recognizes, you can get a little gray annotation below the text ad. Um, what used to go there was the number of followers on Twitter. So my theory is that, you know, Twitter and Google have kind of inked a few deals recently about getting Twitter distribution on Google and about getting, um, what is it, ads access? So you can get, um, well, now I'm blanking on, oh, um, right, double click, ad manager. You'll be able to buy Twitter ads through that at some point next year, they say. And you can do some attribution stuff if you use um, double click to do attribution. You can bring in your Twitter impression data. So Twitter did all this stuff with Google and then magically now the Twitter uh, follower accounts are disappearing from Microsoft. So I wonder if that's an outcome of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't see that article. Is it like a, a checkbox then as a replacement? Kind of like a Twitter, a, a, a Twitter account that is like from a, I don't know, somebody famous. It's like, yeah, verified, like check mark. Yeah, I guess all networks have their own version of it. So Twitter has that verified account. And then Google shows if you have a Wikipedia page, it shows like a little gray link to your Wikipedia page as some type of authenticity. And Bing is trying this as well, which is the brand. So yeah, I don't think it will make much of a difference to performance, but we'll see. Yeah. One other uh, article, which I think you guys also probably have some opinion on, um, in the PPC Hero, uh, from the PPC Hero blog, um, they talked about conversions and AdWords conversion and what exactly is a conversion because Google announced support for cross-device conversions last month. And I know our advertisers are often very confused about what a conversion is. Facebook recently changed their definition of what a click was. Um, so there's there's a lot of confusion in the industry. Being a tool that kind of aggregates all this into one place, I mean, do you get um, a general sense of what people want to see in terms of impressions, clicks, and conversions? And, and do you feel like they're able to get at that number? Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think um, you need to think about, advertisers need to think about um, what a conversion means to them. Um, so um, here at Visible, uh, a conversion for us, like the ultimate conversion is getting a customer. Um, and so all of that data lives in, for us, in, in Salesforce. It, it holds all of our sales data. This is why we're a Salesforce app, because um, it holds all those downstream metrics. Um, so we don't optimize for a conversion in the sense that like Google thinks about it. So even the definition of like, Google changing their definition, like it's still, it's still different from us um, and, and how we optimize on our marketing team. Um, and so I think um, you need to think about like, what is a conversion mean to you and what's um, kind of, what's the most important kind of outcome that you're driving for. Um, and then also thinking about how, um, how that plays across channels as well. So, uh, and not, um, 
not necessarily like mobile to um, like desktop, but I think especially for B2B, um, we don't see that crossover happen very often. Um, and the more important kind of way to think about it is um, Facebook and Google, like more of channel, cross-channel um, conversions. And if you have a bunch of conversion pixels across uh, like the Facebook and the, app, the Google one, if you're in the conversion window, they're going to all kind of count for a conversion. Um, and so you're, it's not summing up to 100%, and that's like a huge problem. Um, but the most important thing is to think about like, what is a conversion kind of for your organization. And so um, for us, that, that data is sales deals. Right. Yeah, I would, going off of that, I think it's, it is a challenge for marketers when we're using these platforms to really understand what metrics we're looking at, especially um, conversions, because at, on Google, I mean, as you know, there's conversions or converted clicks, which they're uh, substituting and um, it means different things. And so um, just knowing how, if you're using conversions um, in the user interface of any of these platforms, knowing what that means for what you're going to be looking at in your backend systems, especially for B2B. For example, if you see a bunch of conversions come in um, on AdWords, that doesn't necessarily, at least for us, mean that we're going to be seeing any qualified leads come in through Salesforce. Um, because there are other ways that we're qualifying our customers and we, you know, they don't even exist to us if a conversion if for someone who doesn't um, use Salesforce is, is really no good to us at all because they can't buy the product. So um, I think there's understanding what you're actually looking at with these metrics and keeping up on when they change the definitions of the metrics, um, but then also really knowing what, what you know, because conversion means someone came to your site filled out a form for B2B. Um, yeah, you really just need to know who that person is. And if you don't know who they are or, you know, what the potential is that they could become a customer, it's kind of irrelevant information. Right. And you mentioned, uh, Dave, that you don't see a lot of crossover between mobile and, and desktop. Is that, do you think, because of the product you're selling or just in general? Um, I think in general, B2B, well, yeah. So we service B2B. So I'm looking at our own data. Um, uh, but I think it it applies to most B two B companies. Uh, uh, like you do your research during work hours um, when you're sitting in front of a laptop. Um, so we have uh, we've looked at our our own data and shown it to be like a pretty small overlap, um, at least in terms of the major the major touches uh, like converting like the first touch converting to a lead and converting to an opportunity and then converting to a deal so um, the those main transitions the ones that we weight the most in our own attribution model um, because they're they're big state changes as part of the deal happen on laptops right and I'm asking because we're in a very similar boat right we're an ads tool yeah. uh, for for paid search and paid social. And we always have this debate. We don't do a lot of mobile targeted ads. So we'll like when it comes to placements, we'll turn off uh, iPhone, Android, and focus on desktop. But if, again, at that Facebook summit, they talked about over 50% of their paid ad traffic comes through mobile devices. So we're turning off half of Facebook's inventory when we turn off mobile. Yeah. Um, and I wonder in, in this day and age, you know, when I'm sitting at home watching some movie or um, whenever I'm just kind of, browsing on my phone, can I serendipitously discover a visible ad, which will remind me, oh, tomorrow when I'm at work, I should look into that because I wanted to you know, figure out my Salesforce 
connection with my paid search data. I don't know, something like that. Maybe we're we're missing, we don't get, and then because we're going to look at our mobile traffic on our Google Analytics and say, oh, no one's using our, our site from mobile device. Um, but maybe that's because we're not advertising on mobile. Yeah, I think it's I, part of what we've talked about here too with, re, with trying to um, implement view-through conversions is that would be really helpful in measuring the success of people seeing mobile ads. Um, a lot of display advertising could be for the purpose of um, brand awareness or warming up people before your sales team calls them. Um, in order to measure whether or not that's working, you need to know if they actually are seeing ads. Um, and you know, if they look at something on their on their mobile device and they see your ad, um, they're still registering your product um, potentially. And so it could have a lot of potential that is just not necessarily measurable for a lot of people at this time. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I appreciate the insight as one B2B mid-market product to another. It's helpful yeah. to have these conversations. And yeah. I really appreciate you taking a big chunk of time out of your morning to hop on PPC podcast. So... Thanks um, for having us. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I will see you on Twitter. Or, well, and both of you we can find on Twitter, I assume, or we can find Visible. I think Visible is at, uh, it's not Visible. It's something close. It is Visible. At Visible, B-I-Z-I-B-L-E. Right. It's the I. Right. Not Visible with an A. That's something totally different. Visible right. with an I. Okay, that's what it was. Yes, yeah, so we you can find Visible uh, at the, uh, at B-I-Z-I-B-L-E, which we just put in the comments section. And uh, you should check them out. Check out Demo. And if you're using Salesforce, that's probably a great way to get all your data in front of you and all those, those decisions about which salesperson's how good those leads are and, and where the marketing qualified stuff is coming from. So, uh, so best of luck to you guys. Hey, thanks so much.